0: So this is Rachel McElroy oh hey this is Griffin McElroy and this
1: is wonderful
0: Oh, hey hey what's up I feel like we're too proper sometimes with our like it, we do a podcast and it sounds a lot like a podcast a lot of the times doesn't it Where it's uh, like I mean, hello yeah, greetings yeah. welcome I want it to be more like we're in the hallway of high school what's and up? yeah oh what's up Reggie oh man I heard you failed the big driving test again Reggie come on <laughs> I heard you ran into the principal's Jeep with your Jeep. Reggie, come on, man. What if we every episode only talk to Reggie? That would be fun. We could do like those birthday videos on YouTube where we do like the whole episode, but then we Uh go through and it's like, (laughs) we all like to eat candy bars. Isn't that right? Deborah. (laughs) Isn't that right? Stephen. We could have like a robot come in and fill in, and people wouldn't even notice.
1: No, they wouldn't.
0: It's like those books where it's like they can you can put a kid's name in it, and they're like, whoa, they wrote a book all about me? And you laugh like, <laughs> no. you're <He's> so <laughs> foolish.
1: I saw there, uh, I'm looking, our, our son's birthday is coming up, and I've been looking at uh, superhero-themed gifts, and they have superhero books you can buy where you insert the child's name. But from what I can tell, it, it just, it, that is all it That's does. It. There yeah. is no other personalization. It just says like, Henry, comma, Spider-Man has climbed the building. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. So this is wonderful. It's so a show we do where we talk about things that we like, things that we're into. Um, do you want to talk about something that you like and something that you're into?
1: Uh, yeah, I actually got this idea as I was walking into your office. Uh, there is a book by Emily Oster. Uh, called Expecting Better. Uh, oh yeah, and she has written other books and other articles, and she has her own newsletter. She is a uh, like a PhD Harvard economist who looks at all the stats around uh, parenting and pregnancy, and gives you kind of more realistic advice based on those. So instead of just these kind of blanket. Uh, guidance suggestions. It's more like, here's, I looked at the actual studies and here's what actually was discovered and here's what is okay and here's what, you know, you might want to be cautious about. And it just, it feels very data informed. Yes. uh, Instead of like, you know, great grandmother informed. It's uh,
0: astonishing to me. <laughs> it, it, it was the first time around, and it's it's astonishing to me this time around too. For a pro- pregnancy and childbirth is a process that so many people go through, and literally all people are the product of. And you would think that we would have really nailed down and codified like what actually happens during that. It is. Buckwild to me, how much of that is still informed by essentially folklore,
1: like essentially, <laughs>
0: essentially uh-huh. things that that our great, 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 great grandparents decided based on literally nothing. And yet we still kind of adhere to that. And yeah. this book is like an answer to that in a way that I think she is also,
1: uh, when the pandemic started, offered some great guidance on kind of developing a, a process to determine whether or not you were comfortable sending your child back to school yeah just kind of kind of a way to weigh the po- pros and cons kind of more uh scientifically yeah that i know a lot of people appreciate it because these are hard decisions you have to make uh-huh. and to have like an actual process to do that has been helpful so i, I just wanted to give her a shout out
0: yeah uh, i'm gonna say tiny phone i've had big fo- i've gone through a few phones over the last like few years i did like a Galaxy, some big Galaxy big boy, and then I had the a big big iPhone, and I was so excited about the big big iPhone when I got it because I was like, it's a screen, I can watch a bunch of stuff on. But then I didn't really do that very much. I just got the 12 mini and it's so tiny. It's so light. I can fit it. A lot of times I would struggle to fit the big phone in my pocket. And now I've gone back to the tiny little phone that was like, you know, the original iPhone 4 size, like little guy. And I'm like, oh, little guy, I missed you. I forgot how easy you are to hold and move. And if I drop it on my face while watching a video at night, it doesn't like give me a black eye.
1: It's so darling to me the way the trend cycle of like... It has to be bigger. Bigger is better. And then it's like, oh, but we want small
0: then. Little, little guy. Yeah. I love him. Uh who goes first this week? Because I have proven myself a pretty unreliable uh tracker of that. I think it's me. I think it's you. It is me. Okay. Thank 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 you, wonderful.fyi. Uh my first thing this week I'm really excited about because it was something I'd had kind of stuck in my head for a while, but I couldn't really put a a name on it. Uh I want to talk about a uh, like. Primary school art class. Does primary school describe everything like pre-collegiate? I don't think I've ever really known what that term means. Uh,
1: Secondary is high school. Okay. And then post-secondary is college.
0: Okay, so I guess elementary through high school art class. Really, I guess elementary and middle school art class. I feel like in high school, by the time... If you're taking art class in high school, you have proven some level of proficiency with art (laughs) in a way that my elementary and middle school experience did not necessarily require. Um, I... I never was, like... I was always wild about, like, elective-style classes like this, I guess, to put it in sort of high school terminology. And it is a disaster that they are not taught or prioritized in in early education anymore. Um, Because, like, I was really academically averse growing up. Like, I did not really care that much about math and science and stuff like I wasn't bad at them but I just like they didn't light me up in a way that art class did even though I don't really have an artistic <laughs> bone in my body um, and what got me thinking about this what got me thinking about like how dialed I was dialed in I was to art class was Is, uh,
1: how much you want to paint me
0: how much I want to paint Rachel yes. and I'm really good at that yes. um, but re- what really got me thinking about this was a dude named Mark Kistler Mark fucking Kissler. Do you recognize that name? Do you recognize his his brand at all?
1: I mean, no, I don't think I do.
0: Okay, Mark Kissler was a, a, a basically an art educator who made a bunch of like art lesson videos and had a couple PBS series uh, that we would watch in art class in elementary school um, and middle school. I think where he would teach techniques. Um, And he had two main shows that he did that taught these techniques. The first was uh, The Imagination Station, which was sort of like a general, like, kid-friendly, like, you know, here's how these different, here's how to do perspective, here's how to do these different things. His other show was called Commander Marks The Secret City. And this show fucking rips. And I I watched some episodes of it on YouTube because there are some. And I had, like, I'd forgotten about it. It was, like, deep, deep, deep deep down in the memory banks, like teetering on the edge of oblivion of me just forgetting about it forever. Um, So Secret City took place in this weird sci-fi fiction where Mark Kistler played Commander Mark, who was like a space commander who was exploring these cities that he would draw. And every sort of drawing would take place on this huge like whiteboard-sized canvas. And in each episode, he would focus on a different technique, like shading and, and perspective. And he would focus on teaching drawing 3D drawings with these like dynamic drawing techniques like forced perspective and and, and shading and things to sort of simulate 3D illustration. He would do this by adding more and more things to this one enormous drawing of a secret hidden space that he would just kind of improvise as he went along. And there were other kind of like space creatures, sci-fi creatures who would like chime in every now and then. And to me, as somebody who was not particularly artistic and was not very capable of you know, recreating his techniques that he taught in these videos. But watching somebody draw a map of, like, this futuristic city from nothing or, like, this secret underground, like, tunnel world was, to me, like, the coolest shit in the entire universe.
1: Yeah, that sounds incredible. I I have never heard of this, but... I can see why it would appeal to you because a lot of what you do in an early art classes, you just try and recreate things that exist. Yeah. So this idea that you would use it for like world building, I can it's see it would be
0: so cool. super cool. Um, and I would encourage you, like if, you, if you're around my age range, the 33-year-old sort of group and you had art classes in, in your early education... I encourage you to to search on YouTube for Mark Kistler because uh, watching these videos like really, really, really hurled me back in time in a way that very few things are capable of doing. Um, I really like the idea of teaching art techniques rather than teaching just sort of general like, okay, kids, sit down. Here's some red paint and some yellow paint and mix them together. And that's orange. You just got arted. And more like, here's how you can have the tools to draw whatever the hell it is you want to draw. Yeah,
1: I don't ever remember learning technique. I yeah. feel like the class was always like, here's a thing, make it. And you express yourself. Like, well, I guess I'll see what I can do.
0: And having those <laughs> techniques be based on these fantasy and sci-fi worlds. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I loved it so, so, so much.
1: That's really brilliant. Yeah, I always kind of worshipped... Uh, well, I don't want to say always. I've definitely had some bad art teachers, but I will say that that is a profession that I always
0: admire. Oh, for sure. I mean, you went to art camp, didn't you? And yeah, you, every summer. Yeah. And so, like, you, you definitely had a lot of exposure to this. I will also say, like, I, you know, talking in general about art class, I also did really like the just go make a thing thing. Because like I said, like, I didn't take a lot of pride in my academic work necessarily. Um, I, But like... I remember very, very distinctly when I started thinking about like early art classes, like the projects that we would work on for like a whole week. Like uh, I remember very clearly making a paper mache mask of my face and painting it. And it looked so bad. Like it looked so terrible and it hurt quite badly to take it off of my face after I sculpted it on there. But at the end, having this thing that I made, having this mask that I made and painted and it was unlike anything else anybody had ever made in the whole world and history of time. Like that was so appealing to me. Like that was so, so, so cool to me. And I would come home from school, my parents would be like, what did you do at school today? And I wouldn't remember like, oh, you know, we read, you know, uh, Red Badge of Courage. We read Johnny Tremaine. I would be like, look at this shitty mask I made. (laughs) We would use uh, clay, not like on a sculpting table, but just sort of like molding clay that you could then sort of like glaze and bake and have like Mm -hmm. a really rough shod little cup And again, like, I would be like, hey, I finally cracked, uh, you know, the order of operations (laughs) of math today. But screw that. Look at this tiny little cup I made.
1: So no part of you ever, like, wanted to be an
0: artist? You just always kind of enjoyed it? Oh, I think there was definitely a part of, and this was the great thing about having these art classes, is that, like, everybody that I went to elementary school with doodled. And everybody drew. And everybody, like, no matter, like, where you landed on the, like, popularity social spectrum of, of that school, like you you were interested in some regard in art. Uh, and I don't think that's a, like something that you can accomplish with the way that art is currently kind of uh, built into the core curriculum. There's the, I'm sure I'm, you know, all about this because you're like in it. Um, but a lot of art education in schools these days takes uh, place in the form of arts integration, which is about like integrating visual or performance elements into the everyday curriculum of math and language and science and all all of those things, which benefits in a lot of ways the core curriculum, right? Because it makes students pay closer attention to math and science and and engage with it in a way that maybe they wouldn't without that artistic thing, but it doesn't necessarily build up the art education side of things. Yeah. It, it uses art to benefit core curriculum instead of the other way around. Now,
1: I have an exact example of this. When I was in high school, we were told to make a, an alternate cover to the book Grapes of Wrath in our English class. Yeah. And I remember being like, okay, not really understanding what was happening or why we were doing it. And yeah. just being like, well, this is fun. Fun. <laughs>
0: well, and ever since the emphasis was placed almost entirely on standardized test scores and No Child Left Behind came along and more or less made it prioritize that, uh, arts education has been slashed, right? The budget for National Endowment of the Arts in, in with regards to like how it would benefit schools has been slashed. And so there's not much room for art and music classes and stuff like that and that's where you get things like arts integration and saying like oh i hope that's enough and it's not because you don't make the thing and then that's what i'm saying like i i i was good i I was a good test taker and i got good grades in school but nothing that i accomplished with regards to like my gpa ever came close to like (laughs) my pride in making a shitty cup or a shitty mask and i think that's kind of heartbreaking uh, this is kind of a two-in-one, because I I genuinely love the things that I did in art class, but most of all, Mark Kistler out here. Everybody, <laughs> regardless of whether or not you grew up watching him, watch some of The Secret City. First of all, it's got that 80s PBS aesthetic that I am, like, so crazy about, but also just, like, watching this weird, mustachioed, jumpsuit-wearing spaceman, like, drawing basically like sci-fi fraggle rock is, like, absolutely the coolest shit in the whole world, so... That, that is my first thing.
1: Okay. My first thing is a little themed in that it is the
0: floating character balloons in parades. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this a thing that happens much outside of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade?
1: Uh, I mean, you know, there's like a, there's the Christmas parade oh, too. Sure. And yeah.
0: then a lot of places will
1: have like a July 4th parade. I don't know that they have the floating character balloons as for much. Our in the, yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, and given that these are big budget items, yes. I, I don't know that you'd find them in your home city, but yeah, I mean, I was specifically thinking of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade when I did this. Um, I, I always like, I don't know if I'm watching a parade, like that is what I'm looking for. absolutely. You know, like I enjoy a marching band and I will even tolerate sometimes like a, a reproduction of a Broadway number. Uh, but what I'm looking for are those balloons.
0: Those big balloons. And especially when they go wrong. And I don't want anybody to get hurt. I never <laughs> want to see anybody get hurt. But watching Mr. Peanut just like dead, draped over a telephone pole or something is my absolute aesthetic.
1: I have a great suggestion for you uh, later in this segment. Okay. Um, Because I, I looked up that very thing. Fantastic. I, was like, I want to talk about this. I was like, I also want to know the terrible things that have happened. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so the balloons are typically between 60 feet long and 30 feet high. Uh, and each balloon needs around 90 handlers. And there are all these rules around the handlers. They get training because of the enormity of these balloons. Sure. So you have to be at least 120 pounds and good health. And then you go to a training where you kind of learn about the like geometry and physics of balloon handling uh, and then you test it out on the field and there's a team leader and then there's also uh, a police officer that marches with each balloon in the parade. Okay. Um,
0: if just quick question. Yeah. Never thought about this. There's 90 handlers. If as a prank, 89 of them coordinated to all let go at the same time. <laughs> would somebody go flying up into the heavens, uh, suspended on a on a big Pikachu? I mean, yes,
1: probably. So they used to just be filled with air, but now it is a, a mix of air and helium.
0: Why? How would they float if it was just air?
1: Well, so they used to be attached to cranes. On what's on, the point? <laughs> what's the point? Well, I guess so. In 1958, there was a helium shortage, uh, and so they yeah.
0: How is it just get get more helium? <laughs> What? I don't know. It's honey. in the air. Just get helium. I don't know the wait. history of helium. Hold on. Where's helium come from? You, hey.
1: <laughs> hey,
0: wait a minute. If you had asked me, Griffin, where's helium come from? I would have told you helium tanks like at the supermarket. Uh-huh. But then there's another step after that, isn't it? Which is like how do they it's not it doesn't generate inside those tanks. So where does the helium come from?
1: I mean my answer would be science. Which I know doesn't necessarily answer your question, but feels comfortable (sighs) to me.
0: Like you put air in a centrifuge and you spin it and there's a little bit of helium at the... But... What? (laughs) Where does helium come from? Nobody knows. Farms? (laughs) Farms? Probably farms. It's like at the the top of a corn silo. It's just it makes helium up there and you scoop it up in the tanks. Oh, Jesus. Can we stop doing the episode for a second so I can Google (laughs) where helium comes from?
1: You probably should. Uh, so balloons started, uh, in 1927, um, they replaced, so the parade actually started three years earlier and they used to put, uh, live zoo animals on floats. And then I think they realized there were several problematic things about that, moved to balloons, (laughs) um, and, uh, started right away with the big ones. Just didn't even, you know, scale up slowly. Just,
0: just went right for just it. Just big right away. I just started imagining an alternate version of Miracle on 34th Street <laughs> where, like, Santa's up there on the Santa float. And everybody's like, wow, that guy really looks like a rhinoceros! Get out of the way! The giraffes! The giraffes are chasing the children! <laughs> Why did we do this? Why do we think this was a good... Look at that Santa. He looks so... Ra- oh, he's been eaten by four lions. They've drawn and cornered the Santa Claus.
1: Um, so this, this kind of speaks to just kind of the nature of American history. Uh, when they first started creating these balloons, they did not to develop a plan to deflate them. So at the end of the parade for several years, they just released
0: them into the air. (laughs) That's so much worse than, I thought you're going to be like, they shot them with guns. (laughs) They well, fired a big harpoon into them. That
1: might have been better. Uh they just they just released they just released them. And, and then they and
0: they were like, this is somebody else's good luck, everyone. This is gonna land on someone.
1: Yeah, so there were several things that led to them stopping doing that. Um, first, uh Felix the cat caught on fire. Uh they released <sighs> him and he got caught in a high tension wire and burst into flames. Cool, cool, cool. So that was one incident. Another was uh, a Tomcat balloon, 60 feet large, was released. And a woman who was taking flying lessons uh, (gasps) ran into it. And (laughs) they used to offer a reward to anyone who retrieved and returned the loose balloon. What? And so there was... There was speculation that she was trying to get the award by r- running her plane into it. Um, luckily, she was with a flight instructor who helped her kind of regain control of the plane. Uh, With and, a big inflatable cat wrapped around yeah, it, yeah. how do you pull? How
0: do you come back from that?
1: Don't know, but she was able to regain control of the aircraft. Oh, luckily. that's good. Okay, but yeah, so this was uh, 1932, and they they stopped just letting them go.
0: That's so fucking funny. <laughs> God, I wish I went. Okay, again, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but the idea of at the end of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, everybody just being like, okay. <laughs> there goes the big yellow M M&M. and M,
1: and just like the reports of people in their apartment buildings like calling and saying, "I think I see a UFO." Oh no, 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 that's Snoopy. Yeah, never mind. The parade was yesterday. I forgot. Yeah, and also just like to put a reward out there, you're encouraging people to like
0: fly their planes into them. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> yeah, a it's a flawed terrible. system. That's why I'm saying I'm st- strongly in the corner of shoot these balloons. To and make them die and go to, to balloon hell, and then that way planes won't run into them. I think that's the ethical decision.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, so that I the example I wanted to give is exactly uh, of a balloon that was uh, put towards balloon hell, uh, and and I didn't want to give. There are examples of people like actually getting injured. Like yeah, there are rules now around not doing these balloons on like high wind days. And I think I think I've watched a parade before where they have delayed it and delayed yes. it just to try and wait out the weather.
0: I, I remember learning that if one of these balloons runs into like a light pole yeah. or a telephone pole, the telephone pole loses yeah. and falls right over and will hurt anybody nearby.
1: Yeah, uh, so the example, and there is, a, there's a four minute video of this is uh, 1997 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with Barney the Dinosaur. Oh no! What do he do? Uh, so super high winds. Um, there were several accidents during that parade. Um, the, <laughs> the Barney the Dinosaur. So this four minute video shows from somebody, somebody's apartment building uh the the dinosaur is kind of going back and forth on either side of the street um and you can hear the crowds just kind of like gasp as it hits like their side of the street you can tell that they can't control it and there are like people like three handlers to a cord trying to like hold it down oh god uh eventually it is knocked into a street light which tears it open and starts to deflate um, but the winds are still strong. They can't get it down. And so at the very end of the video, there are police officers swarming the balloon with knives and stabbing holes in it to release the helium.
0: Okay, I do want to see that. <laughs> I do need to see that.
1: I ended up just, there's a certain point uh, when you're watching the video where you're just like, all right, I know what's going to happen. Let me just get to it. Like, I was surprised that the video was only four minutes because for the first minute, I'm like,
0: when when are we getting there? So then I just said, I <laughs> I don't know that I would have anticipated a Julius Caesar style assassination of Barney.
1: You see the video uh, at the end, and it's just these these uniformed officers just triumphantly walking away from this corpse with
0: their with their hunt. <laughs> who who made okay. Who made that call with the NYPD? There's no way they were prepared for this situation. So somebody would have been like, all right, everybody, uh, you got knives. <laughs> Get in there. I mean, I think this is our moment, lads. I think.
1: I, I'm going to disagree with you. I think they have to have been prepared for that situation.
0: Like there part- was, a, there was a room at the police station where they're like, "All right, y'all, you know the plan. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. Got uh, we got a, a a new yellow M&M floating up there. We're really excited about that. But knives at the ready." <laughs>
1: Um, it was it was definitely kind of scary to watch, but the thing that is most enjoyable is that when you think about the fact that it is Barney the dinosaur and just <laughs> What do you guys do? No ah! <laughs> <Just>, oh! <laughs> The children watching this and watching their you know, their like television hero just yeah. just mortally wounded yeah. over and over again.
0: <laughs> yeah, that must have been rough to watch.
1: <laughs> uh hey, can I steal you away? Yes. Thank you.
0: We got some gumbo prawns here, do we? This one is for Future Sam and it's from Past Sam who says, hey Sam, it's Past Sam. When you're hearing this, you've either just started your last semester of your bachelor's degree or you're finishing it up. Listen, you don't give yourself enough credit for the work you've done and I am so proud of you. I hope that everything is going well and this message from your favorite people finds you happy. Uh, Congratulations on that bachelor's degree. You know, for the longest time, I didn't know what that meant. And my idea of what it did mean was so cartoonishly wrong. I thought it was just like a like <laughs> a thing for like single folks <laughs> to go and learn a little bit of you know pre med or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that ends up not being the case. And uh, I'm not a, a particularly intelligent man. <laughs>
1: You make a good art project,
0: though. Oh, do I, though? A nice uh, a nice uh, plastic grocery bag holder made out of... <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Man, I have a tissue box.
1: Uh, this next message is for Micah. It is from Andrew. We've come a long way since meeting as bar trivia teammates, and I'm so lucky to have your humor, depth, and kindness in my life. Your D&D adventures are epic, your art is inspiring, and your company brings me so much joy. Though our trivia team always lost, I've never felt more like a winner than when I'm spending time with you.
0: I love you. That is so, so nice.
1: That is so nice. Guys, remember tight- bar
0: trivia? Yeah, you gotta tighten it up. You gotta <laughs> tighten it up. It's all about finding your weaknesses. For us, it was sports. So we found ourselves a sportsman, and his name was Chaz, and nobody liked him. He was a total tool, a terrible person, but damn it, he knew so much about sports, Yeah, carried us to victory. Didn't, didn't he? hmm I miss Chaz. Whatever happened to him. Let me Google. Boop, 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 boop. He got run over by the Wienermobile. He's <laughs> <laughs> oh, gotta go. I I can remember as as a child
1: thinking it was odd that here was this can full of meat. I'm Jesse Thorne.
0: This week on my show Bullseye, David Letterman on shame, regret, and canned hams.
1: Is this the best delivery?
0: version of, of pork. That's this week on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Can you do my second thing? Yes. I was kind of surprised we haven't talked about this. You did a small wonder once a uh, long time ago on Lollapalooza, but I want to talk about music festivals in general because I think I've talked about this on the show and suspended in this weird state of maybe being too acclimated to our current sort of uh, situation where when I see like movies or TV shows where people are gathering somewhere, it weirds me out It makes me like uncomfortable. So maybe this seems like it it strangely bumps up against that.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Like I I follow the Austin City Limits Instagram account and they will post pictures occasionally of previous concerts where people are just shoulder to shoulder yes. and I think the idea of standing that close to that many strangers like seems crazy to me now.
0: Yeah, I definitely fell off of this scene as I got as I uh, sort of aged out of them, I guess, yeah. but there's a part of me now that like thinks about you know, when quarantine has has ended and the pandemic is is you know more or less over, this being like a pretty wild way to get back into the world.
1: Yeah, it. Can I just say, it blows my mind that you went to Bonnaroo repeatedly
0: yes, three times.
1: I, I, it just seems so counter. To a lot of your um,
0: uh, traits, I guess. Yes, it absolutely is. <laughs> that's that's uh, the main thing I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, concerts in general make me a bit anxious. Like being anywhere with a big crowd where I don't have access to like the kinds of amenities that I count on, like uh, a bathroom access, a chair, like those make me a little bit anxious. And a music festival sort of takes that anxiety and multiplies it by a billion especially something like a bonnaroo where uh you don't know like you're gonna sleep in a tent there's no electricity there's some some uh porta potties right like that's not great an acl and a you know a pitchfork music fest are like the other two that i've been to a bunch uh that that takes care of it a bit because in both those situations i can just go home and go to sleep but like something with like a camp out element is like yeah Where am I gonna? Where am I gonna poop in the morning? Because I <laughs> I actually know the answer to that, and it's not a great place. And also, I'm gonna have to wait like a half hour before I can get in it. I
1: was gonna say Griffin and I. Griffin and I have known each other for nine years now, and we have been camping once, and that was for a friend's birthday celebration. It did not go well. It did not go well, and we we do not own tents. We do no. not own sleeping bags. Like uh, it is not something that either of us tend to choose willingly. But this was
0: 2006. <laughs> this was 19-year-old, vivacious <laughs> Griffin. The world was my oyster. Um, no, I mean, I still definitely had those anxieties back then, right? Like, it was not – I I, I was in a really weird place in 2006, right? My mom died in 2005, basically, as I was graduating high school. And then my first year of college was a fucking mess. Like, I was yeah. – I had very little – I was excited by the opportunity to kind of have a clean slate and be whatever I wanted to be, which is not, you know, that is not exclusive to going through a sort of major shakeup. Like I was going through, like everybody goes through that, but I, for whatever reason, like the limiters were taken off completely. And like, I lost my scholarship and I was just like, I made a lot of really shithead decisions, both in like how I was treating myself and the types of people that I was like, kind of, uh, trying to assimilate into. Mm -hmm. Um, and by the summer of 2006, like I had kind of realized the error of my ways, especially when I lost my scholarship. Uh, and yet like this opportunity presented itself to go to Bonnaroo. And it was such a like wild, adventurous thing. Uh, the first concert I ever went to when I was, was when I was 18, was in 2005.
1: Yeah. It was when I
0: went and saw Ben Folds in, in Cleveland. That was the first concert I ever went to. And then like less than a year later, I went to a music festival <laughs> out in the middle of hot ass Tennessee and saw dozens of shows and thinking back about it like so much of the music that i still enjoy now that like informed my music yeah. taste growing up in my adult life i discovered at music festivals like the first time i really listened to fucking radiohead yeah was when they headlined bonnaroo 2006 i was in the audience like so what are these guys all about and then like <laughs> whoa oh man cuz they basically played all of okay computer front to back and i was like holy
1: shit this that, is yeah. so good that is a great point um because it's so accessible, you know, you buy this ticket and then you can walk, you know, 20, 30 feet and discover new music, exactly. Uh, and it makes it very easy for you to just because that that always happened to me. I would go looking
0: forward to one or two shows, but the shows that I ended up loving the most were the ones that I wasn't expecting to see. Absolutely, it was it was. Eye-opening in a way that was far bigger than, oh, I found some new bands I like. It was eye-opening in a way that, like, this is a life experience that, like, I didn't know that you could have. And I think that's what helped me sidestep a lot of the anxiety that I would have about being sort of way out of my element. Is that I was so far out of my element that I saw completely new elements that I didn't really know existed. It's the same way that I think that like travel is genuinely an important thing for people to do because seeing how the world operates outside of your bubble is like I, I such an essential component of developing like empathy and open-mindedness. This was kind of similar to that in a way because it was I was so uncomfortable and I was so in the unknown that like it was it genuinely was was sort of life altering in a way that like changed what I knew about the world and also changed what I thought about myself and like what I was capable of doing and also there was dope ass music <laughs> everywhere like it is it was such a cool environment um and also like there's a kind of thing that is like only works in that environment like there are certain concerts that are the flaming lips i've been thinking a a lot about lately and i've seen them in a music festival setting twice and both times was just like i'd never seen music like that before i'd never seen a concert like that before and that's sort of the flaming lips like whole like aesthetic i think the first time i saw them was at i think 2006 bonnaroo and they were playing on a headline stage and they passed boxes of laser pointers out through the audience i think i've told you about this before and they just pumped this fog machine out so that like you're shooting lasers through the fog and like making your own sort of like disco display but at one point the words shoot wayne appear on stage and he pulls out this huge <laughs> parabolic mirror and just like refracts all of the lasers back into the audience yeah and you know stuff like that there's a lot of like side uh, attractions at at a bonnaroo and at, at a uh, other festivals but i i I feel like Bonner was sort of like designed for it like the Sonic Forest, which is just this huge field of pylons that you walk through and as you touch them, they like make different noises and the silent disco, which has like spread far beyond music festivals at this point where there's a DJ playing into wireless headphones and so everybody's dancing, but to the outside observer, it's like completely silent and everybody's dancing to nothing. Those things are designed for very high people. I think people who are very high on drugs, which fortunately for me, back in my late teens and early 20s, I was one of them. So it was like enjoyable in that way. But, like, stuff like that, I saw Beastie Boys play with Nas in, like, one of their, like, last performances. Uh, and that was, like, a thing I'm, it, you know, now in the future, like, very grateful that I had the chance to experience. And back then was, like, out of my fucking gourd.
1: Yeah. You know, you're you're describing it and it's making me think about the fact, too, like, both you and I didn't get a chance to travel internationally until we were in our, like, mid-20s. Right. You know? And so this was kind of an opportunity to experience this kind of feeling of travel, you know, in 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 the United States. Yeah. Like there's something about going to a music festival that feels like going to a different country.
0: I think what we're talking about, and I can probably generalize this feeling beyond travel or music festivals, because I also recognize like I was uh, – you know, I was very fortunate that I was able to do this. I had like a part-time job that I was able to save up money and, and spend basically all of it uh, on Bonnaroo. Um, but there's this, not to get too like out there, but because this will for sure make it sound like I'm uh, high at Bonnaroo, but there's like this weird subconscious collective like level that I feel like at a really good concert, you can, you can get on of just like this like, everybody's kind of at the same place right now. And there's this like kind of unspoken energy that we're all tapped into. And I think you can get into that with, with travel, like finding new parts of the, the the world and seeing like how other people deal with that energy or whatever. But like at this kind of environment, at a, at a Bonnaroo, at a big, you know, arena music festival where everybody's into the same thing, like, you can get that at concerts everywhere. I feel like at a good music festival, it's designed to elicit that. And that's such a special thing. Like, that is such a a, a genuinely... I scoffed at people who talked about that kind of thing going to, like, a Fish concert or a Grateful Dead concert or whatever jam band shit. And I still am not a big jam band fan. But, like, I for sure get it. I for sure get it after going to something like this. And I would encourage, like, anybody going through you know, a particularly transitional period of your life to, like, do some weird shit that you don't think you would like at all, that has the potential to be, like, huge for you in that way. Um, So, like, again, like, the thought of going to a Bonnaroo now at 33, like, is not appealing at all the thought of having two kids and trying to make something like that work is uh i can't process (laughs) the math behind it uh but like an acl like a music fest that is more sort of approachable and uh i don't know infrastructurally sound is something that i am i didn't give a shit about last year or a couple years ago but now like i miss being a part of that sort of collective you know subconscious sort of realm um, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. And that like creative space. Yeah, you know? sure. Like that's, that's a very cool, cool thing to be a part of. Yeah.
0: What is your second thing?
1: Uh, my second thing is short. Uh, Martin Short?
0: <laughs> so fucking funny.
1: Uh, no. My, my second thing is, is very unique to me, probably, but I imagine some listeners will relate. And that is in laws. Oh, yeah. I, um, as everybody who listens probably knows, I'm I am pretty fortunate, uh, and that I have a a good group of in laws kind of in my corner. Um, but I think for me, as an only child with like you know a pretty small family, uh, it was really exciting to like be a part of this family and and have the opportunity to like be an aunt, you yeah. know, and to have like brothers in law and sisters in law and all that stuff, right. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, it's 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 like people always kind of talk about their in-laws in kind of a negative way. And I can understand why people would have that circumstance um, because a lot of times you are with people that have very different beliefs and, and you know, outlooks than you do. Uh, but for me, it was just something that I just always felt very fortunate for, to have that like bigger family kind of baked into getting married. Yeah.
0: It's kind of, it, it It almost reminds me of the stuff I was just talking about, of like, whenever you do a sleepover at somebody, one of your friend's houses, you're yeah. like, oh, this is how your family does things. Yeah. This is like a very permanent version of that that can be very exciting when it's not like <laughs> terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And to have these kind of like traditions baked into it and yeah. also to have this kind of resource to find out more about your partner. Yeah. I mean, that was like the first time that Griffin brought me home for Christmas. I just remember just basically interviewing your dad be like bring bring me all the griffin materials
0: (laughs) well i also feel like there's a certain very common type of in-law that like is so excited to dump that on people (laughs) like uh all of my family and yeah uh like the smurls like i feel like mary smurl uh justin's mother-in-law like rolled up on you the first time (laughs) she saw you like you gotta see this dude as horton in suitsicle i'll change your shit
1: yeah. And I, I think I mean, that's another example of of what a like unique circumstance I had was that I was not I was not ever tested. You yeah. know, like the in-laws were not like, demonstrate your worthiness. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> it was more like, oh, my gosh, Griffin brought somebody home. This person. <laughs> oh,
0: you were being viciously tested. <laughs> you may not have realized it because you did really well on the test. But oh, my, you were on <laughs> the rain slick precipice of just being completely jettisoned. But you did so good. You did so good. We did.
1: I mean, there were board games involved. Like, in, 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 oh, yeah. in some ways, that that could have been considered a test.
0: The crucible of gaming.
1: <laughs> uh, the thing that I didn't really know about until I did research is the whole concept of in-law and, like, what it actually refers to. Oh, Yeah. Uh, so I always assume that I think a lot of people assume that it is just like you enter into this like legal partnership with your partner when you get married and that gives you legal ties to their family. Uh, But in law actually started as a reference to canon law, which is the church's set of rules around who you can and can't marry. Whoa. So, so the idea is that, in the Catholic church, for example, uh you couldn't marry uh, a non blood relative of your spouse if they passed away.
0: You couldn't marry a non blood relative So your
1: relative. spouse's sp- siblings, parents, children's, you weren't you weren't allowed to marry them. Okay. So so father in law was, was a way of saying like, Hey, going forward, <laughs> if this things, is your father, things don't work out, like this I you never can't, knew that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also used to refer to step-siblings, step-parents. So, so a father-in-law could either mean your spouse's father or your mother's new husband. Huh. So people used to say, like, if if your mother got remarried, that that would be your father-in-law. But they've since stopped saying that as much. Because it's very confusing. It is very confusing. Yeah. Uh, the earliest written mention comes in 1894, an article that states the position of the in-laws, uh, is often not very apt to promote happiness (laughs) um so yeah i was i was trying to do more research on this and a lot of it is just like surviving your in-laws or like ways to approach your in-laws successfully and i will say another circumstance we have that is i think frustrating particularly now being so far away you know if we were in a everybody loves raymond situation and it was oh, like a every, that's the dream. <laughs> like an everyday popover. Yeah. I might feel different. Uh-huh. Uh, the distance I think makes it seem more special to me because it, you know, is usually like happy, happy circumstances that, that we yeah. get to get to see our extended family. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel really fortunate for it. I think it is, it is a way to kind of exponentially grow your family. And if you're lucky, they are people you like being around.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love my in-laws too. I have to say, I feel like they listen, but Dave and Linda are crushing it. They keep it so real.
1: Like I don't have any brothers or sisters. So like when you met my parents and like, you know, a few of my aunts and uncles like that, That's it. it.
0: No, you got a way better deal. (laughs) It's just for the money. For the money, you got way more sheer tonnage of in law.
1: (laughs) When I think about how complicated it might be trying to navigate all the time, if I also, you know, had siblings and extended family, it would be tricky
0: for us to kind of manage. But as it is, it's pretty...
1: It's pretty stress-free, yeah. which
0: is nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, can I tell you what our friends at home are talking yes. about? Yes. Well, how about this one uh, from Anna? This one's from Anna who says, I recently taken up tap dancing again by following video tutorials, and my small wonder is getting all the steps right in a combo for the first time. I oh, bet that's cool. I bet that feels real that. good.
1: I love that. You know, I so I took dance classes when I was a kid for a very long time, and tap shoes, I feel like my family was always worried would damage the floor oh, in yeah. some way. Uh, and so I, it was very hard to practice at home because oh, yeah. it was like, oh, are you tapping?
0: <laughs> God, you got to, but I understand like you go to Savion Glover's house and it's like a bomb went off in there. <laughs> it's hor- It's like he's been sword fighting in there. It's, it's untenable. Uh, LT says, my small wonder is the YouTube channel, Ordinary Sausage. It's a man making sausages out of everything. For example, an entire poo-poo platter or my favorite so far, canned clam chowder. It makes me laugh very much and reminds me of old YouTube. One man, one slightly disgusting trick, less than five minutes per video. We're going to watch these
1: tonight. Yeah, we have found our new disgusting food related fix. In Chef the Club ain't getting it done anymore.
0: Chef no. clubs, chef clubs, sold out. It, you
1: know what's weird is that it's predictable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Griffin and I can narrate a chef club video in like three seconds in, and I've realized now like that makes it less fun. Like yep. I, I know, I know what's going to happen next. Uh-huh. I know where they're going to put the cheese.
0: They're going to stuff the Gucci cheese inside the weird chicken apple pie, and like that's <laughs> <laughs> yawn. <laughs> uh, thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use for our theme song. Money won't pay. You we'll find a link to that in the episode description. And thanks to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Yeah, thank you to Maximum Fun
1: for airing a very special wonderful promo that we just recorded. Yes. Uh, and I would encourage everybody to go and check out some new shows. I think I think it's a good time now to just just spice up your podcast
0: ritual. Oh, absolutely. I mean don't stop listening to us. That would yeah, please. but uh, sup- supplement us with more great podcast from maximum fun oh
1: and speaking of uh mcclory products if you have not bought a ticket for the mabimbam bam sawbones live show yes
0: there's still time there's still time you can find uh links to tickets and everything at the macroyfamily.com family.com and uh it's gonna be a lot of fun it'll be really weird we haven't done a live show since march so <laughs> who knows <laughs> who knows what's gonna happen but we'll we'll have fun uh, I think that's it, and uh, we're going to stop doing the show in just a few seconds now. But before we get there, it's very important that we tell ta- Oh, nope, here it comes. Bye! Bye!